Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Physicists across the world are revolutionary chirping with gravitational waves. So we find out what LIGO is, what gravitational waves are, and how this all can help upturn our understanding of the universe. That these toolbox to see things we haven't seen before and start going after some of the other big questions they in science in the first place or find out a way to measure them. Sure, we had a lot of ideas and we had some false alarms along the way. A couple of years back in 2014, during the BICEP experiment, we thought we'd actually picked up traces of them in the cosmic background microwave radiation, these little curls in space-time indicating gravitational waves. They turned out to be noise in the signals and sensors that they hadn't accounted for, but the search continued on, particularly at LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory which was founded in 1992 by Kip Thorne and Ronald Drever of Caltech and Rainer Wise of MIT. So it's basically two of the biggest minds, universities in in science in the United States, joining forces for a research observatory in Louisiana. LIGO is basically a big listening post and has been listening for quite some time. In fact, we talked with several people who were involved in research on LIGO, such as Dr. Eric Thrain from Monash University, about this topic way back in 2015 at our Casual Science Cafe series. So we've been keeping abreast of this gravitational wave potential discovery, but now we've actually discovered them for real, and the announcements have been made. It's really important to congratulate the 1,020-so scientists from a number of different countries who collaborated together using very different research platforms and the governments that funded this research to help us to find gravitational waves. sound you just heard was researchers from Monash University, a collection of scientists, not all of them affiliated with Monash, but all various scientists living in the Melbourne area, emulating what they suspect gravitational waves sound like. And that video was uploaded by Pablo Al Rosado. And it was called Chirping for LIGO. And if you follow any scientists on Twitter, you may or may not have noticed posts of that nature scattered across the internet. Because for about a week, Ever since uh, the teams responsible for researching gravitational waves using LIGO called a press conference for Friday, everyone was pretty sure that they had actually, in fact, discovered gravitational waves. Why? Well, because really, you wouldn't really call a big international press conference just to say you'd found nothing. Nevertheless, with the embargo still in place and the formal announcement not made, scientists turned to the internet and chirping uh, or trying to mimic or guess what the sound may sound like in order to uh, pass the time whilst they waited for the official statement. So what do gravitational waves actually sound like? Fortunately, sound clips have been released from LIGO itself. What you're listening to there is being described by Gabby Gonzalez from the LIGO Scientific Collaboration as the very heartbeat of the universe. It sounds like a nice and poetic way of describing it, but it's pretty much basically what it is. They're the ripples in space-time that are being observed, and we're hearing that as sound, these vibrations that are occurring through the actual fabric of space-time itself. 
So, to actually describe the sound specifically you're hearing there, we need to talk a little bit more about the actual thing that enabled the scientists to discover the gravitational waves. Now, if you have read a little bit of the news, you'll probably be aware that how we've picked up two gravitational waves is these two black holes spinning around each other and colliding, which released 50 times more energy than all the stars in the observable universe. And it lasted only a few fractions of a second. But such a massive, massive distortion and release of energy obviously creates some kind of ripple effect. Now, the signals that you're listening to there were recorded by LIGO and converted to sound waves. And then we kind of shifted them up a little bit more to make them into frequencies that the human ear can hear a bit easier. And when you, when you hear that little subtle blip, that little chirp, that is in fact the actual sound of the gravitational wave surging in frequency as the black holes collide. And so what you have in this kind of like pulse and this crest and this trough, that's actually part of the process that these ripples that have been caused by this collision so what you're actually listening to exactly there is the tiny little bit of distortion as these gravitational waves trip the really really long laser that is being kept really still uh, in LIGO's vast tunnels it only lasts about 20 milliseconds and the frequencies measured are so small that it's equivalent to about the, the width of a human hair over four light years so it's really really tiny but that is what you're actually hearing there um, and it's a pulse a ripple that you have to have really really finely tuned instruments to actually listen to but once you do you can actually hear something really fundamental that's probably all these kind of ripples around us all the time but this is such a big one that we can actually pick it up and yet even though it's so massive and so huge we still need incredibly powerful equipment in order to capture it. Everyday gravitational waves from you and I or everything that we can see at the moment in the universe aren't that easy to pick up. It takes a big cataclysmic cosmic event for it to cause something that we can really capture easily with LIGO. But now that we know what we're looking for, we can start to delve into a bit more deeply about it. Now, what exactly is LIGO? It's a huge observatory. In fact, there are now actually two, one in Louisiana and the other one in Washington. That's a pretty much opposite end of the country. And they're upgraded in 2010 to be the more advanced LIGO version. And it basically has one job, to try and detect gravitational waves, which were first predicted in Einstein's general theory of relativity in 1916. So basically, they have a big L-shaped long tube, uh, which has an ultra-high vacuum system, and these tubes are about four kilometers long each side. And they're up to five interferometers, basically uh, laser measurers that are put into these systems. Basically, they suspend these interferometers uh, in these big tubes with mirrors at either end, and they fire a very highly powered and precise laser beam. Um, first cleans out some with some filters, some of the optical frequencies that doesn't want, and then basically bends it around this L-shaped. And then you can pick up through this deflection unusual signals and when there's any deviation or change in the signal you can actually observe something that's effectively the principle you're running a really really long straight tube with a straight signal and if there's any deviations from that then you're actually picking up something pretty fundamental and it requires a lot of great engineering to keep everything really really stable because what they're looking for is shifts in distance about 10 to the minus 18 meters that's pretty much 
less than the charge diameter proton. They'll give a really, 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 really tiny variations or shifts. So to do that, you actually need to keep holding them really steady, which is quite hard and requires some really complex control system engineering and a whole bunch of other challenges and some very big pipes on the ground. If you want to hear more about how LIGO works, tune into episode 128 of our Casual Science Cafe series, where we actually talk to one of a researcher involved in the analysis and work at LIGO, particularly the site in Washington. And you'll find out a bit more about the actual operations on that. So head to our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash LagrangePoint, or check out our feed or posts, and you'll see more links to that episode in particular. Einstein's theory of general relativity, which was published in 1915, was of course one of the most landmark theories that really describes our entire universe, actually gave us our understanding of how gravity works, and which we understand now is to be around the distortion of space and time, right? the fabric of space and time. If you think about it this way, if you had a, a, a bowling ball or any type of large object on a trampoline surface, so the trampoline surface sort of dips around the bowling ball as it sort of submerges in, and that's the same effect that gravity has in three dimensions, not just two, on space-time around it. That was a really landmark discovery uh, and theory by Einstein. And gravitational waves sort of extend out of that theory because it explained a lot about how gravity worked. It, we didn't really have just the mechanism of how that information was actually transferred across the universe. So gravitational waves were proposed, but we didn't really have any real confirmation that they actually existed and in what form. Now, basically, what they are are akin to sound waves that travel through space at the speed of light. So not faster, but actually at the speed of light. And now what we've actually picked up is that they're all around us. And it's taken a really long time to actually verify that they're all around us. But now we know pretty much exactly what they look like or, or rather what they sound like. And this is great because we've had a lot of inferred evidence that general relativity is correct. And we've proven many steps and it took us a long time, 40, 50 years to actually prove that principle general relativity, general relativity was correct. Um, in all forms, and now we actually have even further proof and actually understand now all the mechanisms in it. So discovering gravitational waves actually gives us a real insight into the way gravity travels across the universe. Some important things about it. The ripples that we've heard or observed using LIGO are only ones produced by truly cataclysmic events. And even then, they're very, very small and, and difficult to pick up. But these are two massive black holes sort of colliding in space. Large pulsars, supernova, or other big cataclysmic events could also produce gravitational waves. But we need to keep in mind that those are only ones that we can see from really big, crazy events that occur pretty rarely. In fact, that event that we managed to capture and see the gravitational wave signature on was a reasonably rare event in itself. We, we, it's been happened millions of years ago, and that big shockwave was sort of heading across the universe towards us over billions of years and we finally got there and caught it in our recorder in LIGO. If we hadn't turned it on or off in different times we may have missed that particular event signal. We would have picked up other big cataclysmic events but you know that's still pretty serendipitous as well. So we've talked about this a couple of times on the Lagrange point before, specifically when discussing bicep or talking about gravity waves with Dr. Eric Thrain. 
we've discussed how this will actually help us. So we need to take a little bit of a step back here and go, where is the very fundamental beginnings of the universe? Probably answer the Big Bang. And you'd be correct. But our problem is that, uh, well, it's very, very difficult for us to see what happened at the Big Bang. Obviously, it happened a long time ago, so we can't directly observe it, but we can sort of observe using the ripples of light and radiation as it sort of eventually gets to us from one edge of the universe to us now. Uh, and that's what we do when studying the background microwave radiation and a number of other methods. We sort of peer back in the past and see light from the very start of the universe. And that's great. But the problem is that light actually didn't start at the very beginning of the universe. I'm going to get really specific here, but light didn't exist at t equals zero, time equals zero. And those few, absolutely 10 to the 21 levels of, of seconds, so really, really tiny periods of time, right? So a very early fractions of the universe, when all the crazy things were happening, before all the forces had all settled out and everything sort of went from one coalesced mass of just being a singularity to exploding out, i.e. the really cool stuff that we want to observe. Light didn't exist. So when we try and study it, you, you can't. You can't look back there or get any evidence because we don't have our general tool to do that, light. We, had to, we can infer the presence of light and that's where we kind of inferred it by looking at the changing patterns, which is what BICEP does, the changing in patterns of radiation, which may infer things before light happened. But we really were kind of stuck. It's a kind of limit, a barrier to what we could actually see, so to speak. But having another mechanism, gravity, which existed right at t equals zero, so it wasn't needed to be created, it's a, just, it's a law, um, we can actually look even further back. So now that we know that gravitational waves exist and we know kind of what they look like, we can start looking for them in the evidence from the very, very early periods of the universe, like really like the first fractional pieces of time that exist after the universe started. And from that, we can now study the Big Bang and thus the formation of the universe and all the amazing weird things that happened then and defined everything that we know in our universe today, we can actually now start to study them. So that is one of the pivotal things that gravitational waves now enables us more clearly to do. It gives us another tool in our toolbox to start observing the early periods of the universe. Now that we have gravitational waves and we can sort of peer back into things such as the early creation of the universe, what else can we do with them? Well, for starters, we can actually get some solid evidence that black holes actually exist. Okay, we found the, the gravitational waves using LIGO from two black holes spiraling into each other, but at the same time, uh, we actually do need to get some more evidence out there that they actually exist. We've had a lot of information being gathered, and this would add further fuel to that. Because black holes themselves are truly astonishing you know, concepts, things that exist in a singularity in space-time. In particular, what, what happens when these two singularities, where all the rules of normal space-time break down, uh, merge and collide with each other? Is it even possible to merge them, or they just kind of just like sit next to each other stuck? And how does it actually work? And 
that is something that we obviously scientists are very keen to study. Maybe it will be like two soap bubbles that get close together and form one bubble. That's a potential theory that now scientists can get at in more detail using another method of observation, which is what the data from LIGO, not just aside from proving the existence of gravitational wave, actually gives us. Now, by having two LIGO observatories, we can actually look and understand them and we can get if they arrived at the same time. And from there, we can begin to understand how they travel, how gravi gravitational waves travel. Um, and we've been hypothesizing in the past that the way that they're transmitted is by particles called gravitons, much in the same way that light is both matter or particle and wave, wave-particle duality. We're pretty much assuming that gravitational waves are the same thing, which means they'll probably have a, a particle, a graviton, that they travel through. Now, if these gravitons exist and have no mass, then they should travel at the speed of light, which is the law of the universe. Now, they can travel faster than it. But it's possible that they may have a slight mass. And if that's the case, it would travel a little bit slower than the speed of light. So now we need to use the observations from LIGO and our brother stations to try and study the exact speed. And from that, have an understanding about what the speed limits are for gravity as well as for light. Now, another big question that we would obviously want to know is, uh, what makes stars explode? It's, it's a pretty reasonable question to want to ask, and we know that uh, supernovas, particularly type 2, are uh, crazy types of explosions. And we can do simulations and we can observe them, so we know it happens, but we don't really know what is causing that type to occur. Now, black holes and neutron stars, when basically what happens when a star sort of collapses in and on itself and either becomes an inert mass of nothingness, neutron star, or black hole when it completely collapses in on itself and sucks up everything around it. To make it go the other way, though, requires a really crazy type of energy. Hopefully, gravitational waves can give us an insight into what causes that. And if we're talking about neutron stars, we also want to know what are the surfaces of neutron stars like? These are stars so big that they collapsed in on themselves under the gravitational forces and become super, super, super dense, cold, dead stars. Now that is something where gravity and understanding gravitational waves can definitely help us understand what's going on there. And the two are pretty much the two most interesting ones are cosmic strings. So with gravitational waves, can it help us? pick up cosmic strings or string, or get some more evidence for string theory. Because we've thought about string theory for a long time and there's a lot of different models and propositions out there, but we need a new tool in our toolbox to actually figure out if which string theory theory is right or even any are right at all. So now, um, maybe we can start looking for them in more detail and, and even the interactions with the strings in the back in the space-time fabric could actually enable us a way to maybe find those strings and prove their existence in the first place. And finally, the, probably the big one is the universe is expanding and stretching out and continuing to do so and accelerating that matter. But why and how is that working? And we, we know that's the case, but if we were able to understand gravity waves, we might be able to understand what is causing these to expand and why and how the rates are expected to change, if they are at all, in the future. So these are some pretty big fundamental questions that we can now start tackling, thanks to the discovery of gravitational waves. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. 
This week we found out about gravitational waves and the discovery at LIGO that's helped solve one of the big mysteries of the universe, and what that might mean for tackling other big mysteries of the universe. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.